0: Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing, New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9-14. through Uh, Let's go ahead and read these. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's all right. Thanks. Um, Let's go ahead and read this, and we'll uh, finish up tonight. So let's start with uh, David's row. Verse 9, all the way down through until we get to verse 14. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he
1: still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as bows, and as nose fastened by the master of the assembly, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, (coughs) be admonished. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God, and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil.
0: All right, very good. So let's start with a few questions as we've done every week. Uh, First of all, kind of another review type question. (laughs) What is uh, one thing you've learned uh, from this series thus far in your life that you're trying to apply uh, in your own life? What's something you've learned and are trying to apply in your life? Anybody want to share? Crystal?
1: I'm trying my best to not stress because it's meaningless. Yeah. I'm just having a hard time.
0: Once you figure it out, let us all know, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm doing pretty good this weekend. It's done pre- I've done pretty well. It's, you know, it's pretty much, as mom was telling me, it's kind of like the devil. Just it just tell it to go away. And Correct. I've done pretty well this weekend, so. Yeah. But my husband comes home geez, tomorrow night or Tuesday, so hopefully it still stays safe. Keep praying
0: for that. Yes, yes. I like think Manda's stress was gone for three days this week because I was I was gone for a couple of days. I'm not I'm keeping my mouth shut. I'm just, I'm just you know we're one, so I'm talking for you. <coughs> yeah. Anyway, that's good. What what else? What are something you've learned and trying to apply in your life? Anybody else? Mark or, uh, yeah, Rodney, not Marcus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty much is, uh, one thing I've definitely figured you um, and learned through this is that all the things Everything that I think is important is totally meaningless with God. Everything. Yeah.
0: That's good. That's good. What else? Someone else. Don't make me call on you. Mm.
1: I'll say something. Okay. Um, well like I like my grandkids, you know, I've got them all throughout the weekend, Hunter. And it used to be just frustrating, I'm always just getting on to them and stuff, but then it's like not, not, I mean, yeah, make not meaningless. I was looking at what is meaningless and what is meaningful in my life. So cleaning my house is not meaningful. Spending time with them and how, ha- you know, teaching them and, you know, just enjoying them is more meaningful and clean. Make sure the house is clean. That's just meaningless. I mean, yeah. It's still going to be there. Unless it becomes yeah. a health hazard. Yeah. Well, no, no. I'll do that after they go home. I'm talking about after they go home. Yeah. After they're sleeping home. After yes, they go I, home. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so, I've learned to actually start doing that, and it's been a little bit more peaceful Good. and less stress. Good. You know, when I'm not worried about things that are pointless. Good. Completely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. What else? What else? Mm. Marcus? I think uh, I, I've been trying to use lessons in work environment as well. That if I feel attacked or anything, it's meaningless. It's just people who are frustrated or whatever. If they're to, I can get through it. And, and if I go about it the right way, then it ends up being better. Yeah. Instead of just, you know, being stormed off and being mad or whatever. Correct. Correct.
0: <laughs> that doesn't help usually much at all. No. <laughs> Good. What else? Let's, let's get several others. Come on. Hopefully you guys have learned something. Like, yeah, yeah, I've learned it. I just don't want to say it.
1: Um, well, uh, what we do for God is so important in, in comparison to what we do in the world. Yeah. What we do in the world is all temporal. Correct. Uh, just like a flag is gone. Yeah, it's true. And what we do for God, for God, working for Him, it's eternal.
0: It's, it is eternal.
1: And, you know, it it burned my heart.
0: Praise God for that. What else? Good. Somebody, somebody, somebody? Crickets. Hmm. Have you learned anything? Do I need to start chapter one again?
1: <laughs> I, all over? I might have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. See, I think it opens your eyes when you see uh, the, the desire of oneself of what they're desiring in life. Mm-hmm. You're like, that well, really doesn't mean anything. Why, yeah. why I have that desire? Exactly. You know, exactly. Uh, Hopefully it's
0: shifted our focus and shifted yeah. our desires or helped us realize where our desires should lie. Mm-hmm. And really, you got to think about it. On any given day, I think a question should be asked, is our focus truly on God? And honestly, I think a lot of us, if we'd assess our own day-to-day life, we'd have to say, probably not. Our focus truly isn't on God, just by the way we live. You know, as brother even Alan just said, you know, so easy. It's so easy to focus on the temple, right? So easy to focus on our jobs in this life instead of things that are eternal. You know, and that's that's as a pastor, I'm trying to really push people to, to make sure we're investing for things that are eternal, things that are lasting. That's that's one of the the great reasons we're doing a missions trip, because that's an eternal investment. You know, it's yeah, it's about making an impact and. And, I, and I've heard all kinds of you know reasons why people will go, why people won't go. That that's beside the point to me. And I know some, everyone can't go. And that's not that's not the issue. It's it's the fact that we're going to do that because that's an eternal investment, and that's what is most important to me. In uh, I guess my leadership as a pastor, I want to make sure that we are making an impact not just here, but for generations to come. And who knows the impact that four or five days in San Francisco can make. Not just on the ones that we meet, but for the ones that actually go, and even the ones that have given to it as well. You know, it's it's gonna you know help you as well. And, and there's so many other things that we're gonna do this year as well. But let me ask this question: What are some ways that we seek satisfaction apart from Jesus? Kind of an open-ended question, but what are some ways we seek satisfaction apart from Jesus? Anyone? Shopping. Shopping. Yeah.
1: So kind of like shopping.
0: Yeah, <laughs> shopping, 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 shopping. <laughs> Got a lot of those. Eating. What else? Sleeping. Sleeping. TV. You good at that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> you look tired right now.
1: I'm, I can't breathe. Oh, okay,
0: okay. Uh, Brother Mike probably has some Nyquil in his office if he needs What else? What are some ways that we seek satisfaction apart from Jesus? If you had a Dell or a PC, it probably would work. I'm thinking <laughs> just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's, it's, it's a back and
1: forth.
0: Was that, like a satisfying
1: that was a satisfying Because
0: he, he gives it to me all the time. Jesus so. satisfies my life. It's though. an open ended. It's an open ended. Apple or Samsung doesn't give any satisfaction whatsoever. <laughs> but Jesus is the apple of mine. That's a mic drop right there. <laughs> uh, Actually, I didn't. <laughs> Banana gives you my energy. <laughs> What else? A couple more. What are some ways that we seek satisfaction apart from Jesus? Busy schedule. Busy schedule. Keep yourself busy and uh, try to forget about it. And yeah. You don't have time to stop or do anything. You want to testify, Stephanie? <laughs> Go ahead. Amen. <laughs> what else? What are some ways we seek satisfaction apart from Jesus? Me time. Me time. Okay. Expand on that. Sorry, Rodney, he turned down just a couple of, like like oh. crank up the ears. Or like, like five or oh. yeah. <laughs> You
1: get caught up in the meaningless, the busy schedule, everything, and then you're just like, you know what, I just need some me time. I just need some time. And so then you turn into the selfish, like I'm just gonna go out by myself. But generally what you end up doing, like for me, I go get a pedicure, I go drink a cup of coffee, or I go, you know, do something like that. Instead of what I should do is just get into a really quiet spot, my closet or whatever. Get my Bible and just be like, Okay Lord, I'm focusing on everything else and instead of turning to you I turn to me.
0: Yeah.
1: Or anytime. Yeah.
0: So. Exactly. That's that's really and good. And then
1: what happens is I go get my new time but then I come back more exhausted because I was just trying to find something to do and I could not find what I really wanted.
0: Yeah. No, it's good for all of us, you know. We we, we come back often more depleted. <laughs> And sometimes with less in the bank account, <laughs> because it's about me, 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 me. And it's not, that's not a pick on Manda, but that's all of us that we can do that. It's, that's a great thought. What else? What else? What are some ways we seek satisfaction apart from Jesus? Anything?
1: I think you're trying to get everybody else. other people's approval. Well, that's good. You know. That's good. Instead of, you know, does it please Jesus, and we're, you know, it's pleasing somebody else. Yeah.
0: Know? Anybody struggle with that? Really kind of seeking approval of others and... You know, we might necessarily not admit it, but really our, our life kind of speaks to that. And, you know, even in a job, you know, we're, we're trying to seek approval of our boss because then we can get raises and promotions and all that kind of stuff. But again, what is most important? The approval of our Lord and Savior. That's what matters. doesn't matter if our boss gives us another raise, another promotion. That is meaningless because it might not be the job that we need, but God will give us what we need when we need it. Um, all right, let's go ahead and just jump into it. i got several other questions, but we'll get to a little bit later. So first couple are kind of review of this morning. Again, Solomon has been talking about life under the sun. Uh, we've spent 13 weeks now on this study, on the series. Uh, it's been one of my favorite series that I've done thus far um, as a pastor. I think because of how much I've studied uh, for this series. I've done a lot of reading um, through commentaries, through books. Uh, through preaching messages, through just listening to different things. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not been a satisfying uh, series, but it's been, it's been a series that's, that's deepened me, uh, that's grown me. Um, and really, as Solomon has pointed out everything, that under the sun, life is meaningless without Jesus, but with Jesus, life is truly meaningful. And as I hit on this morning, we hit on verse 9 and 10 and 11, life's goading certainty that truth is not relevant, right? No, I messed it up. Truth is relevant. Truth is relevant. Again, he hits on education. He talks about in verse number 12, further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end. Uh, All of us that have ever studied, we understand this, right? You can study and study and study. There's no end to the study. Uh, You think of a kid going through school. They finish one grade, but what's next? Another grade. There's more studies. Uh, You finish high school, and if you go on, there's more studies. There's college. If you go on beyond that, you have a master's and doctorate and, um, or just life in general. How many have had to study in your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of us, right? It's, it's never-ending. And it's good because it helps us grow, but at the same time, it's not necessarily satisfying, right? Oh, man, I have all this knowledge. Look at me. I've seen a lot of people, and we've referenced that, that have so much knowledge, it's almost like they're too smart for themselves and too smart for God. And that's the point Solomon is trying to help us with that, you know what, there is no end to how much knowledge you can gain. Um, And I I know, just on the ministry side, I know people that, you know, have, you know, a couple doctorates, and that's not enough. They need more doctorates because they got to show their people how smart they are. That doesn't matter. I may down the road, you know, try to advance my education just to try to gain more understanding of God's word, but I've realized again that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's before my name or after my name or whatever. That, that's, that's pointless. What matters is truth. What matters is God's word. And that's the point Solomon was making. So life's goading certainty that truth, not education, but truth is relevant. And, it, uh, and he talks about the goads and the nails. Again, as I just referenced this morning very quickly, uh, the goads are the things that, that prod us, that point us, that direct us to the truth, while the nails are those things that hold us together. A goad is that which points to the truth and pokes us to the truth. And we have to remember that there are people in our lives that are trying to goad us. Not in a bad way, but they're trying to point us in the direction of the truth. (coughs) So when people are pointing us in the direction of the truth, what should we do? We should listen to them, right? We should heed their advice. But how many of us have never had heeded, whatever the word is. How many of us have have often not listened to the advice of others that were trying to direct us in truth? Many of us. Many of us. And like, like I illustrated this morning... You know, I I can picture Solomon as a as a very old man, and and he's sitting down, whether with his son or someone else. And hey, listen to me. He's pleading, listen to me. Just you know, you don't have to necessarily live the life that I did, but don't make the same mistakes. We've all been there on whether whichever side of it. You know, I've I've been on both sides of that as as a parent now. You know, trying to help Nate especially as he's growing bigger. Nate, don't do these things. And as a five year old, he knows best. He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows everything and I'm like kid quit being me be different than me be better than me but we've all been there and I can just see Solomon he's just pleading he's prodding hey listen listen to the advice of those that have gone before us because they have wisdom and that's why it's very important again it doesn't matter it doesn't matter age we have to understand that just because someone is 98 years old doesn't mean they're the wisest person in the world they may have made a lot of foolish choices And what they're offering you is a lot more foolishness. We have to realize and be able to decipher what is wise and what is foolish. And when someone is giving us wisdom, we have to realize that, hey, that's truth. That's important. I need to listen to that. And again, not just for myself, but really any preacher, right? Any preacher hopefully is giving us wisdom, giving us truth. They're goading us and prodding us and directing us to that. And it's not to feel sorry for me, but I think of myself and I think of so many others that that spend countless hours of study trying to prepare messages and trying to to draw the hearts of people to God. And and it's a frustrating thing when you see people just go astray and, and live however they want. Just think of you, how frustrating it is as a parent or grandparent when you're trying to invest in your children and they go astray. So it's important to listen to the advice, no matter who's it from, but listen to the advice of wisdom. Again, too many people are kicking against the, the goads. They're going through life resisting truth rather than resting in it. And I think all of us could testify of how often we've resisted truth, right? We've resisted the truth in our life instead of resting in the truth. But which, is, which brings more satisfaction, resisting something or resting in it? Resting, resting in it. Exactly. Because resisting, there's a struggle, right? Resting, you do nothing. You sit back. And you let Jesus take control. You know, it, you know it's like uh, I've, I've read about this. You know, even some of these bumper stickers, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot. That's not true. He's our pilot. He's our pilot. Mm. But that's another way that we're trying to control the situation. Well, He's my co-pilot along the journey. No, 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 no. He's your pilot. He's the one supposed to be leading and guiding and directing your life. So allow him to sit in the passenger seat and just go where he goes. Allow him to lead you where he wants to lead you and take you. So again, it's so much better, so much more satisfying when you rest in the truth rather than resisting the truth. And that principle of goads and nails is very important because the very nails that you fight against are the very nails that hold you together. And I'm talking about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And since truth is relevant, leads to the final assignment that of life's grand finale Fear and follow. I want to I start with the story tonight with this point. Uh, it's a story uh, from a book that I've read throughout the series and got many of the principles for the class on Sunday night from. In Southern California, the name William Mulholland is very epic, uh, but many Californians don't know why. William was born in 1855 and lived 80 years. He is, a, he is legendary for water. He was one of the earliest men to recognize that and envisioned that Los Angeles might one day become one of the largest cities in the nation. But there was one major problem preventing that growth. There simply wasn't enough water supply in the region to sustain such a large population. Mahalan began to dream and plan. He dreamed of finding a way uh, to bring large quantities of water to the Los Angeles basin that perhaps millions of people could one day enjoy and be able to live there. His answer uh, was an aqueduct. And his water source was in the High Sierras in Central California. What he did was legendary. He identified a water source in Owens Valley, 233 miles north of Los Angeles. Then he oversaw the design and, uh, and construction of a gravity-powered aqueduct that would deliver the water to the Los Angeles area. Construction began in 1908 with 3,900 workers and involved the digging of 164 tunnels. That's a lot of tunnels. Water from Owens Valley finally reached the Los Angeles area, On November 5, 1913, in a modern feat of engineering brilliance, at the opening day ceremony, as the water began to flow, Mulholland is famous for his understated words. He said, there it is. Take it. The irony of the success story lies in the events that took place 15 years later. The applause of Mulholland's legendary achievement quickly faded. And at 73 years of age, he was nearing the end of his career. He was single-handedly responsible for massive innovation and expansion, and in many ways for the Los Angeles that exists today. Maholland was called to the northeastern canyons of the Los Angeles area, just north of the city of Santa Clarita, to inspect the St. Francis Dam. On March 12, 1928, he and an assistant inspected the dam and declared it safe. Just 12 hours later, the dam collapsed unleashing 12.4 billion gallons of water into the San Fransquito Canyon. A 140 high torrent of water exploded from the dam and traveled at 18 miles an hour towards several unsuspecting cities. The raging wall of water wiped out a power plant, taking 64 lives, then proceeded into Santa Clarita, into the riverbed, flooding and destroying the present towns of several towns that I can't even name, The water finally reached the ocean near Ventura, taking with it many of the dead who would never be recovered. Recovery crews worked for days to dig out the bodies of the victims from the wide path of mud and damage, but in the end, more than 600 people were killed, and massive damage was sustained by the region. The flood is still considered by some to be the worst civil engineering disaster of the 20th century. People immediately lashed out and blamed Mahalan, who humbly accepted full responsibility. I hope so. At an inquest into the ordeal, he said, the only ones I envy, listen to this, the only ones I envy about the whole thing are the ones who are dead. Kind of sounds like Solomon. The jury later recommended that William not be held criminally responsible, but this event effectually ended Mahalan's career in heroic status. He resigned a short time later and died in 1935. Mahalan controlled water, but in the end, water controlled him. Water gave smashing success, then water delivered an unrecoverable death blow. The very source of Mahalan's greatest success became the ultimate source of his greatest disappointment. Metaphorically speaking, he lived for water and water crushed him. But the truth is, and I love this, Jesus Christ will never crush you. If you live for Jesus, he is not a Lord that will crush you. But any other Lord, Little L will crush, will lead to destruction, will lead to devastation. And, and what, what an amazing story that, that one day he's on top of the mountain, that everyone is, is claiming that he's a hero. And he did a lot for a lot of people, really millions of people. But in one act of stupidity, foolishness, whatever, his career was over. And this is what we see, life's grand finale. Solomon was on a quest, but the truth is we are all on a quest for satisfaction. We're on a search for what is authentic. We're on a search for what is truth, what is lasting, what can sustain us. Look, your desires will not sustain you. It doesn't matter how noble they are. Your desires will not sustain you. But Jesus will. He's the only thing that will sustain you. He's the only thing that can sustain you. Because he is the sustainer of life. Is he not? So again, and I'm talking as much to myself, why, again, speaking to me, since he's the only one that can sustain us, why do we seek satisfaction in anything else? (laughs) I mean, there's no really good answer for that. I'm not asking for an answer, but really, it's kind of a rhetorical question. Why do we do that? How foolish is that, right? How foolish is it to seek satisfaction in something that was never meant to satisfy. How foolish is it to seek satisfaction in a job, in a relationship, other than a relationship with Jesus? Again, if, if we can really grasp these truths, my goodness, this would truly transform our church, our nation, right? That I am not living for myself. Who are we living for? God, Jesus. That's who we're to live for? And again... As Crystal said, we all struggle with stress. We do. We struggle with anxiety. But again, and I'm not picking on her, it's it's me as well. How foolish is it to stress, to worry, to fear about things that we can't control? It's very foolish. Because what is your stress going to do for you? Nothing. Nothing. It's going to hurt you, right? You go. It's going to have a lot of <laughs> devastating effects, but nope. Ah, it's like we're I'm trying to hold on to it. I'm trying to hold on to something, and eventually you squeeze this enough. What's going to happen if I squeeze this enough? Gonna I'm not going to do it. It's yeah. going to explode. <laughs> that's what our lives do, right? Because we're holding on to something that was never meant to hold on to. And God says, why don't you give it to me? I'll make it so much better. You see, our search, listen to this, it leaves us emptier, <laughs> not more full. And that's, that's really the point of everything that Solomon has said. My search for satisfaction Left me emptier, more depleted, more devastated. The same is true for us. So why don't we live life with God at the center? (laughs) with Jesus as our top priority? You see, so often, listen, we are chasing things that are trivial and not valuable. And I've said it throughout the series, Solomon that vanity of vanity, all is vanity, that vexation of the Spirit, it's like chasing the wind. Solomon was chasing the wind. Chasing the wind gets you nowhere. Because the wind is just going to continue to blow. You can't catch the wind. You can't bottle up the wind. And I caught the wind today! Seriously, that's foolish, but that's what we do with our lives. You see, while we are searching, listen to this, we are not cherishing. <laughs> while we are looking for happiness, we're not enjoying. Right? So often in my own search for happiness... I don't cherish what God has given me. This goes back to uh, chapter 3. Cherish now, right? Because right now is pretty special. No matter what is going on in your life, right now is pretty special because I think of what Psalm says. This is the day, what, that the Lord hath made. Let us Rejoice. rejoice and be sorrowful in it, right? No, be glad in it. Be thankful that Jesus is our Savior. That this life is not the end. If there is something so much better waiting for us. I know I'm just, you know, waiting for the last message. You really get passionate about this. But I want you to get this. Again, while we are looking for happiness, we're not enjoying it. So Solomon gives us the cure in verse 13. The conclusion of the whole matter is fear God no matter what. Fear God no matter what. Again, this is not a terrifying fear. This is a... <laughs> All reverent fear so let's switch the gear just a just a minute what are some things that you are afraid of snakes, snakes. okay that's that's a good one <laughs> what else what are some things you're afraid of crowds, crowds. we've got several people like that what else heights, heights. Fear, of falling. fear of falling yes i used to not be like that until i've gotten a little bit older i'm like oh it's that's, that's too high up there <laughs> Yeah, I remember going to like the Empire State Building, and some of those buildings, like, oh, yeah, I'm around the edge. I'm going to spit down on these people. And now I'm like, I'm going to stand 20 feet back. <laughs> uh, what else? What else? What are some things you're afraid of? Something happened to your family. Yeah, that's a good one. Something happened to your family? Failure. Failure. That's really good. What the else? Unknown. The unknown. <laughs> that's very scary. It's very terrifying when you think about it. What else? What are some things you're afraid of? Yeah? Well, they have God, but what that me? I get it. It's terrifying. I, I get it. I get it. What else? Maddie?
1: Confrontation
0: and criticism. Confrontation and criticism. Nobody confront or criticize Maddie, okay? I will cry.
1: <laughs>
0: I get that. Many people struggle with that. What are, what are some other things? What are some <laughs> things you're afraid of? Michael? I know you want to share something. Mm-hmm. Talking to new people I don't know. Amen. <laughs> I know, Stephanie. I know. I'm working on it. We were
1: at an event the other day, and I'm like, hey, if you want to meet people, you got to talk to them. <laughs> that, that is bad great bad. advice. God. Everybody write that down. If you well, want to meet people, corner. you need yeah. to talk to them. My corner yeah. is really
0: nice. What? My corner is really nice. <laughs> it is. It's a nice corner. But it's only you. <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, it's I went it's into there. his corner. That's good. <laughs> Two
0: people in your corner now. <laughs> but they have to come to you. <laughs> exactly. What else? What are some things you're afraid of?
1: I'm afraid of what I think what other people are thinking.
0: You're afraid of what you think other people are thinking. I put
1: thoughts in other people's heads, and then I make myself afraid of them because I'm like, I know they're thinking that about me. Yes. Or I know they expect this of me. So I'm afraid of the expectations that I have put in other people's heads. Yeah. Myself, yeah. If that makes sense. It makes perfect
0: sense. i struggle with that, too. It's annoying. Yeah.
1: Like, really annoying. I, I, so I hear everybody you. Everybody just I live with it. smile yeah. at me, so that way I think that you're
0: just... <laughs> <laughs> Even though you might hate her, People just smile at her. smile. <laughs> That's true. So I
1: don't put those thoughts in their head. Exactly. Exactly.
0: What else? Two or three things. What are, what are some of the things we're afraid of? Speaking in public. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking in public. That's good. You're teaching the class next week. All right. Very good. <laughs> I get that a lot so
1: it's,
0: <laughs> anything else what are some things you're afraid of
1: incompetent.
0: <laughs> appearing incompetent oh yeah that's, that's that's a good one that's very deep as well take a lesson on that for sure what else i, th- I heard another one rejection rejection oh yeah nobody's ever been rejected right Never. yeah <laughs> never not at all not at all um let's transition this question uh same line but why do you, and this, this is kind of for ourselves as well, why do people struggle with anxiety? Why do people struggle with worry? It's fear. What? It's fear. It's fear? It's really what it boils down to, yeah. Fear in the wrong thing. Fear in the wrong thing, yeah. No what control else? of the unknown.
1: Yeah. It can is be it? overwhelming.
0: It can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's like what I said. You make up scenarios that... We're never even there to begin Exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's in your head. Like, you know, someone doesn't talk to you for a couple of days and you're like, oh my word, they hate me. And so then you build up this whole like, vicious cycle of fear and what did I do? And, and, all, and it's your own fault. Half exactly. The time exactly.
0: Or if you have an iPhone and you saw that someone saw your message, why didn't they respond to me?
1: Exactly.
0: What is that <laughs> problem? Yeah, y'all should block it. That's good. What what, what else? Why why do people struggle with uh, anxiety? wrong Lack of self-confidence. That's good. Lack of self-confidence. What it else? The
1: past repeating itself. You're afraid of something bad happening again.
0: The past repeating itself? Yeah. What else?
1: Well, it's also because you don't, when you have anxiety and fears like that, you let them take over. It's because you're not having him take it over. You're taking it over. Your brain's going nuts. You're not letting him handle it.
0: Yeah. I mean there's two overriding themes that I hear. And it's fear and control, right? Mm-hmm. It builds up. Yeah. That's why people struggle with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Really that's what it boils down to. Fear and control. No and really it's they're afraid they're not in control.
1: Knowing <laughs> things and nothing you can do about it.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't. i say lack of faith. Yeah? Yeah, exactly. But again, as I said this morning, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, right? <laughs> he wants us to have that, uh, the power of a sound mind. How do you have a sound mind? By trusting in God, by resting in Him. Having faith in Him. Trusting in Him. Realizing that, again, I go back to control. Realizing that He is in control, so fall back and let Him catch you, because He will. He always will. What? Yeah, you have to be a kid. Nate
1: wakes up, like, it's, it's the craziest thing, but when he has those bad dreams, all I do, because we put our pillows on the side of the wall from the bed, and there's like 10 of them, because I like pillows, and I'll, he'll wake me up, mom, oh, I had a bad dream, I'm like, just go lay on the pillows, i like, okay, and he goes right back to sleep, but he can't go to sleep in his room, because he's we're not in that room, Yeah. And but if, we're, if he's in the room that we're in, yeah. but technically, God's with us, so we should just go on the pillows and go back to sleep. <laughs> exactly. No, that
0: makes perfect sense. Where do you find peace? In the presence of Jesus. Where does a child find peace? In the presence of their parents. Because they feel safe. They feel secure. Again, it's, that, that's why Christianity it, it is so, it, it's, it's the simplicity of a child faith, of childlike faith. And that's what we need but as we grow older, you know, that childlike faith diminishes, right? talked about that a couple weeks ago you know four ways kids do faith better than us you know we get too smart for our own good as we get older and more mature even though we're actually getting less mature in all reality you got to look at your kids they have a i'm not saying you don't but a lot of kids they have a genuine love for god for his word I, i think of nate he loves god he loves god's word he loves the stories and you know he's gotten out of a little bit in the sense that you know, years year or so ago, I mean, he just loved dressing up and playing the part. And, you know, his favorite character was David. The favorite story was David and Goliath. He didn't want any other toys. He just wanted a little sling. And he was going around singing the song, only a boy named David, only a little sling. It got annoying because it's stuck in your head. But, but at the same time, I'm like, that's awesome. Like, why don't I have that? Why don't I have that childlike faith, that attitude that, man, I love God's word. I, I want to obey God's word. I want to do what God wants me to do. You see, the reason, again, let's, let's continue on with this, but the reason why things come into our mind, because it's things that are out of our control. Fear is basically the admission that we don't know what we don't know. And when our illusion of control is shattered, what happens, what tends to happen, is people instinctively turn to God. You think about when terror, when true terror happens, you think about 9-11, when there was terror in our country, what happened that very next Sunday in churches? Churches were full. Full of people. Why? They were afraid. The sky is falling. The Muslims are all going to attack us. What's going to happen? What? What's God doing? People run to God. But then a couple months later, what happened?
1: They forgot,
0: it. They forgot about him, right? They went right back to their own way of life. And even Christians that knew God forgot. It's kind of like I've said. Solomon knew God, forgot about God, then found God again. That's kind of that vicious cycle of many of our lives, but why do we have to go through that forget-who-he-is stage, in a sense? Forget to trust in him. Look, the fear of God is not a terrifying thing. The fear of God is what brings us comfort. It's about surrender. It's about learning to lose control. And honestly, life is terrifying. And since life is so terrifying, we must run to the only one that can comfort us. And the next blank is this. The fear of God is freedom from the fear of anything else. The fear of God is freedom from the fear of anything else. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. I want to I share a couple um, stories in God's word of even good, godly people that were afraid. And God had to kind of set their fears in line. And throughout scripture, listen, we see people on a collision course with fear. And God speaks to them. Daniel chapter 10. Uh, let me find it. Turn to the wrong page. So this is when Daniel was having some of these visions. Um, All right, let me start in verse number one. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, a thing was revealed unto Daniel. So some of these visions that he had, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing, and he had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I mean, that's, that's a long time to mourn. I ate no pleasant bread. Uh, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. That's a fast right there. And in four in, in the twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Sedekel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded up, uh, fine gold of Euphaz. Of his body also was like a barrel, and his face of the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet, like in the color of uh, to a polished brass and the voice of, of his words like a voice of multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. No one else saw it. For the men that were with me saw not the vision. But a great quaking fell upon him, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me. It was so terrifying. For my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I, I retained no strength. Yet I heard the voice of the words. And when I heard the voice of his words, talking about the Lord, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, Listen, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. He was in a trembling sort of fear. Then he said unto me, what are the next two words? Fear not. not. You see, this is what God has done throughout scriptures where a person, an individual was confronted with fear and he speaks to them and he basically says, fear not, don't be afraid. Why do you think God is telling Daniel, don't be afraid? (coughs) The vision that he saw and the vision that he was seeing was a glorious but terrifying vision. And because he was the only one that saw it, it was just what was to come. It just blew his mind. So why do you think God was saying, hey, don't be afraid? Yeah, Yeah, because he's God, right? I got you. You don't have to handle this alone. Verse 12, Then said it he unto me, Fear not, Daniel. Spoke to him by name personally. For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God. Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. And it, it, it continues. But when you study out the rest of this story, you see a very, very key truth that happened. Daniel's terror, Daniel's fear turned into worship because he realized who was in control. He realized that he had no control of that vision, no control over the dreams, even though it left him trembling. And that's what our fear should do. It should turn us to worship. Worship who? God. <coughs> because it's basically falling down and saying, God, I don't understand this. It's terrifying. You think about life. Life is terrifying. Unknown is terrifying, is it not? I mean, I think Crystal made a point, and I, I've thought about that. What if what if my wife and I die and we leave our kids alone? But really, it should help me realize that okay, if God does that, He's still in control, and I'm just going to worship Him, and realize that He has a reason for it. He has a purpose. He has a plan far greater than my purpose, my plan. Maybe, if, and I hope, I hope and pray that doesn't happen. But if it were, maybe it's God's way of saying, maybe they're going to something greater is going to happen because you're out of the way. <laughs> Ever thought about that? Whereas you could have clouded it up. You could have muddied up the waters. But since I am God, I'm removing you from the equation and putting myself in the equation. I'm not saying that that needs to happen, but really our fear, our terror, like Daniel's, should turn to worship. There's another story, and we don't have time to read it, but in uh, Genesis chapter 15, it's a reference of, of Abraham, same thing. Hey, fear not, don't be afraid. God continues to remind us to don't be afraid. And that is followed by a, when when God says, listen, when God says fear not, when God says don't be afraid, immediately what he's saying is fear me. Reverence me. Worship me. Why? Because he's in control. And the lesser fear, the illegitimate fear is undone, listen, by the greater legitimate fear. Terror is overcome by reverence. I don't know if that's in your notes or not, to mine, but terror is overcome by reverence. What I mean is terror, fear, should be overcome by worship. Earthly anxieties melt in the absoluteness of God's presence and promise. Don't have that one either? Okay. Earthly anxieties melt in the absoluteness. What?
1: It's in there. I just have a blank. Okay,
0: that's fine. That's fine. Earthly anxieties melt in the absoluteness of God's presence and promise. Man, circle that, highlight that, underline that if it's in your notes. When you're in the presence of Jesus, like the story Amanda illustrated, that you know, when our, our children are there because they're in our presence, they feel safe. And I can fall back asleep. That's what God wants us to do, basically fall back asleep, rest in Him, the fact that He is in control. Our fear, our insecurity, our anxiety in life, listen to this, are all worship issues. When you fear things, not in a reverent way, not in a worship way, you have a lot of insecurities. You have a lot of anxieties. And all that is, and again, I'm I'm preaching to myself here, but all that is, it's a worship problem. Because we're not truly worshiping the one that is in control. You can say, well, I, I worship God all the time. Well, do you? If you're always fearful? If you're always anxious? If you're always stressed out? If God hasn't given you the spirit of fear... What are you doing? What am I doing? Turn quickly to First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. I got a lot, so I'm trying to talk fast. We might go over, that's okay. First John chapter 4. Before I read this, I want you to listen. Bad fear pulls you apart. Godly fear holds you together. Bad fear weakens you. Godly fear strengthens you. Bad fear <laughs> fills you with anxiety and distress. Godly fear fills you with hope and grace. Bad fear crushes you with despair. Godly fear, fear um, puts you together with courage. Bad fear paralyzes you with panic. Godly fear puts you at peace and rest. And I go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. We're just talking about love. Verse 7, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. We understand that God is all about love. He loves us with an everlasting love. We don't. The point I'm trying to make with this verse is, we don't have to work to be accepted by Him. We are already accepted. He already loves us. Why? Because He is God and He is love. If you're saved, if you're a child of Him, goes back to the Ephesians series. You have been accepted, chosen, adopted, all of those things. So why are we trying to work to achieve more acceptance? You can't achieve more acceptance. He already accepts you. He already loves you. He's chosen you. You see, only Jesus makes you accepted. You can never achieve acceptance. You can only receive acceptance. You receive it from Jesus. And the quote I made this morning that Oswald Chambers is so powerful. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. But when you don't fear God, you fear everything else. That's what it boils down to. Fear God no matter what. And finally, quickly, we're almost done. Follow God no matter what. Fear God no matter what. Follow God no matter what. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. Listen to Him. Follow what He's asked you to do. Fearing God and following God is always a journey. Do we have this? Yeah. Fearing God and following God is always a journey away from bondage and into freedom. It's a journey away from despair and into fulfillment. Fearing God and following God is always a journey away from bondage <coughs> excuse me, and into freedom. It's a journey away from despair and into fulfillment. Solomon concludes by looking at the very essence of of life and the reason for which you're alive. Where he says this is the whole duty of man. And really, a better way to say it, this is the wholeness of man. This is the purpose of man. The purpose of man is this. Fear God, follow him. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Because it really is. But we make it more complex. (laughs) We make it more difficult. You want to have a satisfying life? You want to have a meaningful life? Fear God, follow him. That's it. Fear God, reverent God, worship God, follow him. Listen to what he gives us in his word. I'm not saying like the Israelites in the Old Testament had to you know, obey every 613 commandments. He simplified it to two. Love God, love others, right? That's what it boils down to. So fear God no matter what, follow God no matter what. And then finally, verse 13, it's the why we were created. The whole of man, the purpose of man As I said this morning, G. Campbell Morgan said, man in, in his entirety must begin with God. You must begin with God. It's not yourself. It's not your circumstances. It's God. In the application, where will we find satisfaction? Satisfaction is found in knowing and experiencing God through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, I already have a relationship with him. Well, how good is your relationship? Is it one of those, you only kind of speak to him when you're in trouble? Because if that's it, that's not a very good relationship. If you only spoke to your spouse when you needed them, when you were in trouble, when there was no gas in the car, that's not a very good relationship. It just came to my head. I don't know why. I don't know. But if that's the only time... If that's the only time you smoke to your spouse, that's not going to be a good relationship. You have to cultivate it. You have to develop it. You have to get to know them, just like you have to get to know God. You know, the password to accessing satisfaction is Jesus. That's the password. It's that simple. Jesus is satisfaction guarantee, and the reason is twofold. First of all, Jesus satisfies the holiness and righteousness of God. Jesus satisfies the holiness and righteousness of God. The impact and injury of sin are thirst and emptiness. Because of sin, we thirst. You ever been thirsty? What do you do? You find something to quench your thirst, right? You find something to fill you up. You know what's going to quench your thirst in life for satisfaction? Jesus. A relationship with him. He's not only the chain breaker, but he's the thirst quencher. You know he's better than Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> you like that, I know. <laughs> what? Quote me on that. Put a little <laughs> cool thing <laughs> like they had on Robbie Green there. Gatorade. There we go. Yeah. Make that happen.
1: Yeah. Make it
0: so. Yes. Let's make that trending on Twitter and social media. Hashtag. But anyway, the impact.
1: <laughs>
0: exactly. The impact and I'm sure I probably heard it from someone else anyway, so that's usually what happens. The impact and injury of sin are thirst. And, emptiness. and a lack of satisfaction in the human soul. The first essential in a satisfied life must begin with God. And then that second thing is Jesus satisfies the whole in your soul. When Christ reveals himself, there is satisfaction in the slenderest portion. And without Christ, there is emptiness in the greatest fulfillment. Alexander Gross said that in 1632. Let me read that again. When Christ reveals himself... There is satisfaction in the slenderest portion. But without Christ, there is emptiness in the greatest fulfillment. Look, Christ took on our brokenness. And if we repent and believe, then we can recover and pursue God's design for our lives. We can live life the way it's meant to be. Once you find satisfaction in Jesus, once he is your satisfaction. I talked last week, the week before, about the spam of life. You know, sex, power, achievement, money, and all those things. In and of themselves, under God's design, they are great things. They really are. But so often people use that as the end of all, right? The end all beal. I need more sex. I need more power. I need more achievement. I need more money. I need more Christ. Once you have that, you can enjoy those things. But really, Solomon, you think about the sexual side, thousand women. Obviously... That wasn't filling enough. And it's not, apart from Jesus. But with Jesus, you can find satisfaction in anything. You can even find satisfaction in your work. You think you can, no matter what job you're doing. Because you realize that that job is not it. That's just an earthly job. And here's what we have to realize. Whatever job you have, use that for God. Realize that he puts you there for a purpose. He puts you there to not just stand in your corner, like some people do. I don't know who I'm referencing. But <laughs> he puts you there to reach out, right? <coughs> to make an impact. And I'm sure all of us have made impacts in our jobs. But are we making the best impact? Are we making the greatest impact? You think about it as a pastor, a missionary, evangelist. I can't reach everyone, but you can reach the people you know, right? You can impact their lives. Well, I don't know God's word. What have you learned from God's word by sitting in the class? What have you learned from God's word by sitting in a service? Take that and give it to someone else. Honestly, I'm not not getting on people tonight, but it's not up to the church to say, hey, we're going to start another small group. We're going to start another Bible study. You can start your own. You can say, you know what, I've learned a lot, and I just want to share it with someone else. That's making an impact. That's using, using your platform, whatever it is, for an eternal purpose. <clears throat> Imagine if we did that, saying, you know what, I don't really necessarily like my job, but thank you for the job that you give me, Lord, so I'm going to use it for an eternal purpose. Even watching kids, I'm going to use it to try to help teach them and instruct them and train them, or no matter where you are, to teach people, to instruct them, to train them, to advance His kingdom all of these things lead to meaningfulness with Jesus you can have a meaningful life but we have to learn to steward to manage the life that he has entrusted us with and that's perfect reference to next week's sermon series entrusted god has entrusted us with this life he has entrusted us with one life to live for him how can we make an impact how can we make the greatest impact by realizing we are nothing more than a steward, a manager of this life. Fear God and follow God. That's your whole assignment. Solomon's life was on course for a train wreck. And I, I've seen many individuals whose life is on course for a train wreck. And it's sad because they're trying to go through life on their own. I've got a couple more things and I'm done, so don't close me out. I want to read this, this last thing and I've got a couple other things to share. Uh, there's a sketch uh, by a, an unknown author titled Just Pedal. It speaks well to the closing assignment from Solomon. The writer said, At first I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things that I did wrong, so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike. And I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested that we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. And it was all that I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he said to me, just pedal. I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer, and I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure, and when I said, I'm scared, he leaned back and touched my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me gifts to take on my journey, my lords and mine. And we're off again. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage. (laughs) Too much weight. So I did to the people that I met along the way. And I found that in giving, I received. And still, our burden was light. I did not trust him at first to be in control of my life. I thought he would wreck it. But he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make it bend to take sharp corners Knows how to jump to clear high rocks. Knows how to fly to short and scary passages. And I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with the delightful constant companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I can't do any more, he smiles and says, just pedal. What a powerful story, isn't it? So often, I'm ah, just get in the back, Lord. He's like, hey, why don't I take the lead? Why don't I show you what you need to be shown? You see, this series, as I've said many times, has the potential to make a great impact in our church. Transitional, transformational series if we just apply the truths that God has given us. And as I've said before, learn to guard your glass plates because they easily break. And I want to close with 12 final decisions that should engage us that I've got from this book on Ecclesiastes to live lighter and love better. Don't you want to live lighter through life? Have less burdens than I, 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 I love the story there of just peddling. As I got more gifts, he said, give them away. And I received more in doing that, and the burden was lighter. But 12 decisions, basically through the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, are this. Decision number one, trust by resting. We are not designed for perpetual motion. Should I park it on that one? Stephanie? Okay, all right. (laughs) You stay with me afterwards and we'll, we'll have another lesson on that. Second decision is this. Cherish now. Because right now is pretty special. Third decision. Create secret space. We were made for communion with Christ. It's like Amanda said. It's not that me time. It should be Christ time, right? Decision number four, recalibrate in worship. When we look up, it actually aligns our heart to God. Decision number five, simplify with courage. His yoke is easier and his burden is always lighter. Decision six, value wisdom. It makes sense to seek God's good sense. Decision seven, surrender to sovereignty the fact that he is in control it's a good thing when God wins because when God wins we win decision eight settle the essentials I thrive when I live for what is valuable and I could add not trivial decision nine run from folly or foolishness whatever you want to say there run from folly the trivial often becomes the treacherous Decision 10, live to give. Be the cloud and give back what you've been given. Decision 11, make Jesus first. When you lose God, you lose everything. And the final decision that Solomon gives us to wrap it all up, and I hope you keep this, fear and follow. This is our whole assignment. And only Jesus can truly satisfy.